Yes, hello folks, welcome to the weekly Manchester United show. I'm your host as always, Phil Brown. Joined here with Callum McFadden and of course the magnificent Danny Higginbotham. Callum's filling in for Martin until Martin gets back. Martin started a new job, he'll be back soon. So, uh, absolutely delighted of course to have Callum here and the fantastic Danny Higginbotham and his new introduction from me. He's stalwart of this show, he's been doing this for years for me. Uh, one of the most decorated commentators out there, everyone loves him. Uh, Brilliant to have him back here. We'll talk about Manchester United's season, which breaks break down, break down into two parts, uh, first half, second half. Uh, we'll talk about what United should have done last summer, what they need this summer, uh, and what we've seen change under Solskjaer. No better man to do that, of course, than the magnificent Danny Higginbotham. Danny, how you doing, mate? I'm very well, thank you. How are you keeping yourself? All good, mate. All good, mate. Uh, just about ropey out here with this COVID. We're still knee-deep in it, but uh, other than that, life Stay is good. Stay strong, mate. Stay yes. strong. It's... Um... I think it's crazy times for everybody. It, ah, it, mate, no one, no, no one knows what to do themselves. It really <laughs> they is. Really it's all. It's uh, you know, hopefully it's getting better soon. Yes. Well, look, we're all healthy. Kids are healthy. That's all you can really ask for at right. the end of the day. So, um, but uh, plus, you needed to give me a little treat at the weekend. Uh, <laughs> in miraculously finished third. Uh, before we start, I'll ask Callum. Callum, how you doing? Man? I understand you're on a, a wee bit of a holiday. I am. I'm in a, a break in the countryside in Perth. So. When, when we agreed to do the show, I was a bit worried the signal would be a bit ropey, but it seems to be good, so I, I'm doing well, I'm enjoying it, very relaxing, there's there's apple trees around me and, and, and lots of other plants and flowers, so it's it's a strange setting for a podcast. Danny, uh, we'll start with you, Meg. Um, mm. Let's talk about United's season, because um, break it down into two parts. The first half of the season was dreadful, and I've mm. said this before, I've said that it was it was entirely predictable. I, I think that United had underwhelming recruitment. I know people say they spent more than any other football club, but um, what you have to look at is that they let a lot of midfielders go over the course of a year and a half, really. Didn't replace those midfielders. Went into the season short in terms of what they need. They did. They, they had one creative midfielder in Paul Pogba, which meant that Solskjaer was limited on what he could do tactically, uh, the players that he had in behind. Paul Pogba weren't capable of playing the way they're playing today. Um, and he would, have, of course, even had to be rested if he stayed fit, so you couldn't have played him every game anyway. They didn't really replace Lukaku either. Um, and, and the sweetnesses that we see in United now are obvious. They, it's obvious they need a left-sided centre-back who can play the ball, different things. But what I saw first half of the season, Danny, for me, was predictable in the sense that they really were underwhelming in the summer in recruitment. Yeah, I, I think, and you know, I wouldn't just put it down to um, last summer. I think it's it's been the recruitment in general. Obviously, I think it's been it's been frustrating because I think what we had seen in previous seasons was United signed good players. I don't think there's any there's any question about that, but not necessarily the players that that they needed. I think if if you look at the teams that, that have performed and have been in the spotlight in the last few seasons in terms of silverware and being right at the top of the Premier League, they identified players that fitted into the manager's system, uh, fitted into what the manager wanted and, and went and bought those players. And there was, a, there was a seamless transition for the players coming to the club. Whereas I think if I look at United signings over previous seasons, there's been players that have been brought into the club, performed really well at their previous club, but then bought to United and played in completely different positions. Now, the reason that a club would want to sign is because of how well you're performing at the club you're currently at the moment. So that's something that's been frustrating. I think in the summer, what we saw from United, 
for the first time in a while, really, is actually go and get some players that, that were needed in specific positions. So, you know, I think if we went back to last summer before any transfers were made, there was, you know, we need to get a right back. We need to get a centre back. Um, you know, want more pace going forward. So they so they did, they got that. But the problem was the key area for United over recent seasons has been that that number 10 position or a player that can drift into the number 10 position. So, you know, I was arguably probably one of the poorest performances of the season, which was Newcastle away. And they just couldn't break Newcastle down. Newcastle got a goal on the counter-attack and then just defended. And with United, we know that they've been able to perform against the bigger clubs, the clubs that, you know, should be around United um, because they can play on the counter-attack. But the issue has not necessarily been against your your Manchester Cities, your Chelsea's, your Liverpool's. It's not necessarily been against those teams. It's been against the teams that, you know, weren't the favourites with the outsiders. And that was a real frustration because you were going into games as a supporter thinking that a game against a team in the bottom six was potentially going to be more difficult than playing against a team in the top six. And that's something that, that Solskjaer had to turn around. And, you know, fortunately he did do as the season went on. When you look back at the start of the season, Danny, 4-0 win over Chelsea was was incredible. Fans were really excited. Elements of the media, I think, a wee bit overexcited as well. Mm. The following games at Wolves Palace and Southampton, two, a defeat and two draws, not ideal. I think a lot of that comes down to the striking department because when you let Lukaku go and, and, and Solskjaer was very adamant that he was going to give Greenwood, Rashford and Martial the chance to earn the jersey, I think. People were excited but also sceptical. It was a bit of a slow burner, but eventually the tide did turn. Yeah, it did. And I think if you go back to that Chelsea game, you know, you're know you playing against a team that, that's contending for the top four and it's a game where United don't dominate the possession. Uh, I think they only had about 46% possession in that game, so they can play to their strengths, they can utilise the pace that they've got. I think Lukaku going was, I think the frustration wasn't, you know, as you quite rightly said, it wasn't so much the fact of Lukaku going, it's that at the time there wasn't a replacement and I think everybody was, was bemoaning that, everyone was frustrated about that. But I think Solskjaer's, you know, whereas I think previously that there's not been a forward-thinking plan. I think with United in that sense, there was, which obviously, you know, in hindsight was to see Martial as, as the number nine. Um, but then if you look after the Chelsea game, like I say, it very much mirrored then, you know, how how a lot of the season would go. Game beat at home by Crystal Palace, where United dominated possession, drawing with Southampton away, beating Leicester, where Manchester United once again had less possession, and then getting beat by West Ham 2-0, where United dominated possession again. So, that was that was always going to be the problem because when you're playing against your Crystal Palaces, when you're playing against your West Ham's, you can't utilise the pace of a Rashford, of a Martial, of a Greenwood, unless you've got somebody else to add into that ingredients to make the cake in order, basically being the cherry on top of the cake, that, that can be afforded space and time by the pace that the likes of Martial, Greenwood and Rashford have got. And later on in the season, that's what they were able to at- obtain when, when they got Fernandes. But the biggest problem earlier in the season was, A, everything had to circulate around Paul Pogba. So it was a case of stop Paul Pogba while you stop Manchester United. Now, come the last few games at the end of the season, it was stop Pogba. Well, I'm going to second, we've got to stop Fernandes. We've got to stop Martial. We've got to stop Rashford. We've got to stop Greenwood. So all of a sudden, stop, stopping one player, then takes its turn and, and, and goes around and all of a sudden you've got to stop five players and with all the goodwill in the world, your best teams, you can't stop five players, you have to put um, 
a significant amount of importance on who you see as United's danger players. And I think other players, as the season has gone on, have actually benefited from that. But it was frustrating earlier in the season because, you know, with United, it was stop one or two players at the most and you stop United. And that's what a lot of teams did. They came, whether it was United going to their stadium or them coming to Old Trafford, and they just played 4-5-1 out of possession. United didn't have any answer and got caught out on the counter-attack. Now, just to clarify something, <clears throat> I wasn't talking about what over the summer what United did do, uh, because what mm. they did do, they did well. Uh, I thought yeah. the recruitment that they brought in, I, I, I have to say, I think what Solskjaer has done in terms of what he's brought into the club has been impeccable. I don't remember any other time going back to other than Ferguson of when United have got right consistently in the market with what they brought in. Um, it was almost what they didn't do that, that was the yeah. issue. Um, so what I'm looking at when I, when I look at United <clears throat> as well, is once teams worked out that United were going to hit them on the counter-attack, just like you said, they mm. started to sit in deep and ask a different question and ask the players, can you play in front of a defender and create rather than in behind? This is where my concern was with Dan James. He's an excellent exploiting pace in behind, space in behind a defender, but can he play in front of a defender, maybe beat his, beat his defender or, or make something happen? Do United have enough players in the attacking th- third, I, I, I believe they do in Riceford, Martial, Greenwood, Nye. But um, did they have enough players in the first half of the season that would keep people playing front of defenders and creating? No, no, they didn't. But what, what I would say, and obviously we'll, we'll get onto it in, in a bit when we talk about the second half of the season, was that they had, the, the blend wasn't right. The balance wasn't right. So United had plenty of players that had pace. So if I was playing against Manchester United, and I think the best way to put it is that you know, talk about me as an individual player if I was playing against Manchester United earlier in the season. And then when we visit the second half of the season, I'll tell you the problems that the second half of the season Manchester United would give me as a defender compared to the first half. So first half of the season, if I'm playing against Manchester United, what I what I know that I'm going to do, if I'm playing against the likes of Martial, um, the likes of Rashford, obviously Greenwood, you know, started to make an impression as the season went on. I'd be saying to my to, to my fellow defenders, Listen, let, let's take away Martial's pace. Let's take away Rashford's pace. Let's, let's, let's make sure there's no space for them to run in behind. So I would drop deep. And that was okay to drop deep because, as we'll get onto in a bit, there was nobody in that number 10 position that, that you would consider a huge threat um, as in terms of creating things. So therefore, what you would do, you would say to your back four, listen, we'll sit deep. Your midfield five, you'd say, right, we'll sit deep with you as well. And we'll allow Manchester United onto us. Because if we allow Manchester United onto us, then what we can do, we can break quickly against them. Because we know that as the game goes on, the onus is going to be time and time again on Manchester United, unless you're playing a Liverpool or a Manchester City. So, you know, the majority of the games you know during the season, the onus is going to be on United. And that's where I think the game plan from each team, if, if if the three of us were to sit down and say, right, United are playing Burnley this week, then they're playing Watford the following week, then they're playing Bournemouth the week after that, then they're going to be playing Newcastle the week after that. Every single game plan from each one of those teams would have been exactly the same. And that's when you talk about, Phil, and quite rightly, the, the, the predictability of, of how United were earlier on in the season and in previous seasons as well, which, which made some of the tasks actually more difficult when they were playing the, the lesser teams in, instead of the bigger teams. One of the the other things that I want to bring up, Danny, you mentioned the fact that you, you were an esteemed defender in the Premier League. At times, I've felt sorry for Solskjaer when it comes to his defensive options if there's an injury. For me, the games that really summed that up were Sheffield United away and Villa at home. Both games draws, conceding, scoring goals, but crucially conceding goals. 
just how important is it that he can get another few defenders or at least another one who he can hang his hat on if a Maguire or a Lindelof or a Shaw are unfit? I think I think when you when you look at United, you have the one thing I would say is if you go back through history and we talk about great centre back partnerships, you know, I'm not just talking about United. So you you know, there's there's sort of a theme with, with these centre back partnerships. Bruce and Pallister, you've got Vidic and Ferdinand, Carvalho and um and Terry. Um let me think the, the the others as well that have had have had the success in recent years. Um, there's been, there's been a few other partnerships. They're all complete opposites. So, as in terms of one one centre backs, um, you know, deficiencies would be looked after by another centre back because that would be his strength. And I think so. For example, you know, one of the best partnerships that I've seen, you know, dur- during my time as a United supporter has been Vidic and Ferdinand. We know that Vidic wanted to be the aggressor, wanted to go and win everything, and he was unbelievably good at doing that. But he knew that he had the backup of the Rolls-Royce, which was Ferdinand behind him, just sweeping everything up. Um, You know, you look at Carvalho and you look at John Terry. John Terry wanted to be the aggressor. Carvalho was that sweeper play that would just sit back. Gary Pallister, Steve Bruce. Steve Bruce was the aggressor. Gary Pallister was the one that would sweep up. I look at Manchester United as their two centre-backs and two very good centre-backs because what we can't forget as well is that they had the second-best defensive record in the league behind Liverpool. So the defensive record isn't at all that bad. It's just that there's been some some glaring and obvious mistakes that have been made along the way. But this is all part of Solskjaer's plan. If you look at if you look at United, one of the th- people talk about how pleasing they are on the eye. And like I say, I, I don't want to get too carried away because we're, we're going to go on to it in the second half of the season. But the one thing that United need with the way that they play now is pace at the back. Mm-hmm. And if you've got Lindelof yeah. and Maguire then both both very good centre-backs, no doubt about it, but not not necessarily in the best-case scenario suited to each other. I think each one, if I look at it, I think to myself, you need that Ferdinand type next to him or you need that Carvalho type next to him. And that's the problem. So when you look at centre-back partnerships, you're not looking and going, well, they're bad bad centre-backs. No, it's nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's just that... The pair of them, at times, you look at them and they're, they're two alike. Like centre-forwards, when teams used to play two up front, you had one that wanted to stretch the game and you had one that wanted to drop deep into the number 10 position. Central midfielders, you had a defensive midfielder and you had an attacking midfielder. If you play two defensive midfielders together, it's not going to work the same. If you have two forwards that wanted to stretch the game or wanted to drop deep, it's not going to work the same. So what you need in that centre-back partnership is sort of, to put it in, try and put it in best words as possible, yin and yang. You know, yeah. two completely different players that actually suit each other's style. No, I agree, Danny. And, and when you look at one of United's weaknesses, the teams have obviously targeted, is that they're slow to play from the back. I don't think Maric is also the greatest midfielder in picking the ball up from centre of defence to start linking up play. He gets caught in possession quite a bit. That is also a problem with this United. You've seen it against Southampton, where Pogba got picked off. You've seen it a few times where United would get picked off in that position, <clears throat> where that, that defensive midfield position, when the ball would come out from defence. You also have a problem, Danny, with a goalkeeper who's renowned for being a very good shot stopper, but not mm. great with his feet. But in recent, maybe in the last year, that shot stopping capability is also diminished. I couldn't comfortably say in the last year maybe even the last two years, was looking at a whole list of David De Gea mistakes over the last 10 years. And mm. it, it, it's quite, quite concerning. I think he probably did be any keeper, to be fair. But here's a keeper that we know isn't great with his feet. 
is probably of a pre of a previous generation where goalkeepers were goalkeepers and not half footballers. Is also David De Gea a concern in that back three, back four conundrum? I think it's it's a difficult situation because, you know, you you've you've got De Gea obviously at the club now, and you know he's he's got he's got more player of the years than he should have done. And I don't mean that being detrimental to him, but if you're a team that wants to be challenging, then your goalkeeper certainly shouldn't be, you know, player of the year for you. And, you know, he's, he's, he's got that on a few occasions. I think the situation that United find themselves in now is that, you know, we, we've got Dean Henderson, who in my opinion will be United's first choice at some point. He had an incredible season at Sheffield United. He's been there for two seasons. He's proven that he's one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League. So the situation that United find themselves in now is that, I don't think Dean Henderson's going to be happy to come back and sit on the bench for United. So the decision that Solskjaer probably has to make now is, does he bring bring Dean Henderson back and, you know, make him first-choice goalkeeper? I'm not... I think there's another year of him being on loan because he's been outstanding for Sheffield United and Sheffield United, Chris Wilder is my manager of the year. But the pressure of being number one for Sheffield United compared to the pressure of being number one for Manchester United is is a completely different ball game. Um, so then what do you do? You say, well, okay, well, you know, he's not going to sit on the bench for another, he's not going to sit on the bench for a season because he's just proven how good he is in the Premier League. So therefore your options are you send him out on loan or again, sorry, or you make him number one at United. I personally think he needs another year in the Premier League. And I think by that time, you're probably going to get to a point where he may be then in a position to be challenging David De Gea for, for that number one jersey. Or in fact, David De Gea may think to himself, you know what, I, I want a move myself. But I think the reason there is always so many questions asked about David De Gea is because he's been an exceptional goalkeeper. So any mistakes that he's made, and he has made too many this season, I, I agree with that 100%, but any mistakes that he's made are going to be scrutinised under the magnifying glass because of the simple fact of how good he is. Um, but it, it's, it's a difficult one because I look at De Gea and I think to myself, you know, you've got, You've got Romeo, uh, um, who is number two, and every time he's come in, he's been he's been fantastic. So it's not a case of David De Gea taking his eye off the ball. Is it a case of him now being a little bit more being being a little bit more open because the way that United are playing? Yes, you could argue that that's potentially the case, uh, but I wouldn't be I, I wouldn't be losing faith in, in in De Gea just yet. There are question marks definitely, but I think he's bought enough over the over the majority of his time at the club to for, for Solskjaer to give him the benefit of the doubt at the moment. But if these things start creeping in again next season, then I think, you know, the, the mindset from the manager could potentially change. Yeah. One of the players that I want to get your perspective on is Aaron Wan-Bissaka, a player who I think most people would agree is exceptional defensively, but mm. at times he just looks rather uncomfortable on the ball, Danny. Is that something that you feel that Solskjaer and his staff really need to work on for the for the season ahead? Yeah, I think I think he's improved. I think the the bizarre thing about it is that at Crystal Palace he was actually a winger and you know he went and trained with the first team as a fullback and you know Zaha said on record he's the hardest opponent that he's ever played against, whether it be in training or whether it be in matches. So you know he, he's had that attacking element of his game. And I think what we saw was that when he came to Manchester United you know, very, very, very good. One of the best fullbacks in terms of the defensive side of the game. But the way that Solskjaer wants to play, he needs to get a lot from his fullbacks going forward because the majority of the time they're the one that are giving the width because your front four 
will always interchange. You know, you, you, your left winger in Rashford will become your, your centre forward at times. Greenwood will end up in the number 10. Fernandes will drift over to the left. So you need that width from your fullbacks. And slowly but surely, I think we saw during the season wan starting to improve is in terms of getting forward. I go back to, I think it was the Chelsea game earlier in the season on a on a Monday night, and I think he set up, set up a goal for, for Martial. That's something that we've yeah. not really seen um, earlier on in the season. What I, what I would say in uh, for the benefit of, of Wan-Bissaka is that if I brought a full-back to my football club and I was a manager and he was brilliant going forward but was poor defensively, I would be in a predicament yeah. because it's far easier to make somebody be- a better attacker than it is to make someone a better defender, especially when you're supposed to be a defender. So oh, that's I- nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> Coming from a defender. <laughs> so, so, so from, so, well, more, more so with the, with the position that anyway. More so with the position that he actually played. Because I would be more concerned if a lot of goals were coming no, down his side. Yes, you know, and, and we know what fullbacks are all about now. They are converted wingers. But yeah. I think with Wambasaka, because he's got all the ingredients to be a very good right back and is a very good right back now, to make himself better, to elevate himself to that next level, it's going to be going forward. And I would rather have to teach a defender to get better attacking than I would to have to teach a defender who I've bought for fifty million pounds to defend, right. you know. So there's there's attributes that you can work with there, but the key ingredients are there. There's no doubt about it, and it's all about him now improving going forward. Danny, one thought you United and how they finished the season because the the January, of course, from January onwards, United had the best form in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, last few games, Leicester said they started to look a little bit fatigued. They started to look yeah. a little tired. Was there any warning signs in that, or was it just the consequence of playing so many games in such a short space of time? You've been a professional footballer, Danny. I know they had months off, but it doesn't work where oh, you've had months off and now you can just go back and play a game every couple of days and be perfectly fine and fresh because you had a couple of months off. Mm-hmm. Was that really just a consequence of playing so many games in such a short space of time? Yeah, in my opinion, yeah, one hundred percent. I think that when when you look at because it's extraordinary times, so you know. We can't forget that. Yes, you know what they—they they had a few months off, but they didn't—they didn't have a pre-season. You know, me as a player when I was playing, I would always look at it and go, right, the first kick of the ball of the new season, I wasn't at my absolute fittest because you needed—you you needed match fitness. Now you can—you can do all the running that you want in pre-season, all the running you want, but when you go on that football pitch, you are knackered because it's a completely different fitness. Yeah. So what happens is. Your normal pre-seasons, the idea is for, for a player to get three or four 90 minutes under their belt. So when this season then starts, you're at, you're at a decent percentage. I'd probably say you're at 80%. You've still got another 20% to go. And I would probably say, just speaking from my own perspective, that October time was when you started to feel, yes, you know what, I've got my 100% match fitness now. Now, rewind this back to what's happened in the Premier League. And the problem that the problem that you've had is that the players have come into the Premier League and it started again. Now the Premier League games would ordinarily be their pre-season games, so they've not had that time. They've had to they've had to all hit the ground running. And I think what's been glaringly obvious is that with Solskjaer, we look at the front four, we look at Greenwood, we look at Martial, we look at Fernandez, and we look at Rashford, and they are his main four. And he probably looks at 
other players that could come in and say, right, okay, well, I can bring this player in and give this other player a rest. But when players perform so well together, when you take one player out, it affects the rest of the players that are still in the team. So Liverpool's a prime example. Firmino, Mane, Salah. As a front three, magnificent. You take one of those out and replace them with another player, they're not the same player. Sorry, they're, they're not the same three. They're not the same because it affects every single player. So if you take Martial out, it's going to affect the other three players. If you take Fernandes out, it affects the other three. So it's not just saying, right, I tell you what, we need to give Fernandes or we need to give one of the, the, the dominant front four. We need to give one of those players a rest because they're tired. Because what you're then in effect saying is that, yes, we're going to take one of these players out because they need a bit of a break. But what's it going to take away from the rest of the players? And the likelihood is, is that it's probably going to take 25, 30% away from the rest of the players because they work so well together. So that's the problem that I think Solskjaer has had. Now, you know, people are talking about, you know, players coming in and what have you. No one's saying that you're going to bring a player in and he's going to be automatic first choice or that he's going to play 38 games in the season or however many games it is. It's saying that it gives you options. It gives you the ability to, to, to in fact, change dependent on who your opposition is. And United haven't had that for a number of seasons. They've had to play one way. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, then it's hard luck. In regards to Bruno Fernandes, Danny, you referenced it earlier on when you mm. said in the first half of the season, you would have sat deep in any team you were coaching. You would encourage them to sit deep. Do, do not let them exploit you in the counter. When Bruno Fernandes arrives in late January, how does that change as a defender? And how did United adapt on the pitch? Right, so it, it's, a huge, it's a huge domino effect. It's a massive domino effect. When it comes to goals and assists. Yeah, it's 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 a massive domino effect. It's huge because what what you find happens is that if you've got Paul Pogba and he is playing, I don't know, playing in playing in in in, in the midfield role, but having the ability to get forward. What you say then, you say right, okay, as a back four, we're going to sit deep, and we're going to allow Paul Pogba to come forward. But you know what? We don't have to worry too much because at some point he's going to have to pass the ball because he's not going to get beyond our midfield. So what you do, you say, right, midfield and defence, you keep tied together. So therefore, there's no space in behind. Pogba at times gets nullified because he's probably got two or three players on him. And the back four is nice and compact, nice and set, and there's no concerns about it. So I'm not saying United were easy to defend against, but a lot easier than what they are now. Then you bring Fernandes into the game. And this is, where the, this is where the problem then arises. And the problem arises for the opposition midfield. Because now if I'm playing against United as a centre-back, I'm saying, right, OK, well, what I need you to do now, you're going to sit deep. Because we're going to sit deep as a back four because we don't want to leave any space in behind. And the midfield four or five, you're going to sit deep with us as well. So therefore, if you're sitting deep with us, you know, that was all right originally that was fine to do but now all of a sudden you're saying right okay midfield five and back four we're going to sit close together leave no space for Bruno Fernandes well hang on a second if you do that then Paul Pogba's going to come forward yep. and then a midfielder eventually is going to say to himself well you know what we can't allow Paul Pogba to keep doing that so what we're going to do we're going to push up on Paul Pogba as a midfield because we can't allow him to dominate the field because I don't care whether you're playing for a bottom three team or a top four team you are not going to want to be dominated in that midfield area. As a midfielder, more often than not, the team that wins the midfield battle goes on to win the game, controls the game and decides the style of football and, and what happens in that game. So as a midfielder, you then say, right, we've got to get to Paul Pogba because we know he can dictate from deep. 
So what happens is the midfield five, they go, right, we're all going to push up. We're all going to get tight on Paul Pogba. The back four, though, or the back three are going, we ain't pushing up. There's no way we can push up because if we push up, then look at the space we're going to leave behind us. And we know in a foot yeah. race that Martial, Greenwood and Rashford, they're going to leave us standing because they've got the pace to get in behind us. So we are not going to come up the pitch and we're not going to join with you and, and, and get close to you so our units, midfield and defence are close together. So then the, the the problem which then enabled United to evolve and, and have a great second half of the season was, well, if the opposition midfield are pushing high because they want to stop Paul Pogba, but the opposition, opposition back four are saying, we're not pushing up because I'm fearful of the pacing behind me, there then is a huge divide created between your back four and your midfield. And lo and behold, who takes advantage of that space? Bruno Fernandes. So the problem is now is that you have two players to stop. Go and stop Paul Pogba by all means. Okay, go and stop him. But then you're leaving a huge space for Fernandes. Dan, go I want to ask... Sorry, mate. Go ahead. Sorry, I thought you were finished. Go, go ahead. Go, drop deep and stop Fernandes. Then, okay, yeah. that's all right. Because then Paul Pogba will dictate from a little bit deeper. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's, I mean, one thing I would like to see Pop Up do is impose himself in games a little mm. bit more. Um, I thought his form in the last few weeks, really after Villa, wasn't great. Um, but I think you'll see whether if he signs this new contract or not, I think it's going to be a great indicator yeah. as to what United are going to do because I think he felt maybe let down when they signed his last new contract, feeling that United were supposed to invest in the squad yeah. and probably won't let that happen again. So I think if he signs that new contract, there'll be commitments made to Paul Pogba about what United are going to do. But I want to, I want to talk to you about a, a bizarre situation that United can find themselves in. We talked about the uh, these ridiculous number of games at the end of the season. But if you look at the Europa League, Dan, so the, if United get to the final of the Europa yeah. League, right, that will mean there'll be three weeks between the Europa League final and the resumption of the Premier League. So mm. they're going to need, they're, they're entitled to at least 30 days rest. Yes. So that means United City, Wolves, um, possibly Chelsea, they um, would all get an extended break, which would put them a couple of fixtures behind. Yeah. Again, those fixtures are going to have to be made up. And then there's the unbelievable situation of the UEFA Super Cup, August 24th. If one of the English teams wins the Europa League, which is very probable at this point, um, uh, this does it benefit? I know United really need to win trophies, but does it benefit them if they go out? If if they don't get to the final, I mean, they, they, obviously you want to win trophies here, but Dan, yeah. this is a this is an unbelievable situation to find themselves in. It's it's huge, and it, and it's a great point as well. I think if we were talking seven months ago. The conversation that, that you and me would probably be having is United need to win the Europa League because it's their only way they're going to get into the Champions League. Mm -hmm. That's now taken out of the equation. And the last thing, the last thing you want as a as a club is is to be having to play catch up because everyone else has started their games. So it's a difficult one, but I don't think you could ever say to Solskjaer or to his players, "Listen, you know what? It doesn't matter if we don't yeah. win the, the Europa League." That's the difficult thing because as a player. You're only thinking about what's in front of you, and you're thinking, right? Okay, we've got we've got an opportunity of winning silverware, the Europa League. Yes, we've got the Champions League. Which, which sorry, yes, we're in the Champions League next season, which is which is absolutely brilliant. Um, there is there is a method in what you're saying, 100, percent because then you know they they have the break and they start on a they start on an even keel with everybody else at the same time. But I just don't see that being the mindset of Solskjaer or his players. I think they will look at this and go right, especially Solskjaer. You know, because he'll he he will want a trophy. 
you know, because you're getting into the top four and and everything, and you know, people have made jokes before about oh, getting into top four now is a trophy, and it was it was always United fans that would always say it. You know, top four isn't a trophy, and we all say that it's not a trophy. It's it's something that United have needed to do is in terms of getting back into the Champions League. But I think if United, I think they would. They would forsake starting later if it meant that they would to, to win the the Europa League. I don't think there's any doubt about that. And then they'll cross that bridge when they come to it as in terms of next season and and, and what happens with, with the predicament of potentially starting later than than some of their rivals. Nah, I completely agree. I mean, especially for Solskjaer, Danny. I mean, Solskjaer is yeah. a, a guy out trying to establish a reputation for himself as a legitimate manager. We, we, you know, there were suspicions about body of work. You know, he didn't get the job. What happened to Cardiff? Um, personally, I don't care that someone's failed in their career. That, that any you look at almost that Ferguson was sacked at St. Mirren. Failure doesn't mean anything to me. It means it's they've learned. I, I have no issue with that. Um, here you've got a guy, Danny, because I want you to put this in perspective. You've been in professional dressing rooms. Mm. You look at what United were halfway through the season, right? Yeah. And I really worried for Solskjaer after Burnley. I felt that mm. it's going to be very, very difficult, even if you have the ability in a squad to change the working environment at the football club, which was clearly negative at the time, clearly very difficult. Um, Maybe there was players that were happy for Solskjaer to take the blame, that weren't completely committed. But then Fernandez came in, and there was a swagger came back into United, and it was a conference, and you saw it in that City game, where they played when they when they played uh, City and beat them in the derby. Just put into perspective how good a job Solskjaer has done second half of the season, not just to get United on this run, but to completely change the environment and the perception of Manchester United, because now you're looking at a football club that players want to play for. Now you're looking at a football club that has completely reversed its momentum. How difficult is it to change the working environment in the dressing room when things are really toxic and negative? Yeah, it, it is. It, it's difficult. The one, the one thing that that I had to to my advantage personally when when Solskjaer got got the United job was that you know I, I covered quite a few United games and you know I was fortunate enough to to have conversations with Ollie. And what what really stood out to me was that when he first got the job. He he would say what he wanted to do at the club. So what's mm-hmm. happened at the club is no fluke, because this is the, the conversation that I had with him before games. You know, when I was when I was speaking to him for my prep and insight and things like that, was everything that happened in the latter stages of this season didn't happen by fluke, didn't happen by accident. This is what Solskjaer wanted. You know, I'm you know I'm not I'm not sitting here saying to you now. Well, you know what? When I first spoke to Solskjaer, he said he wanted to do this and he said he wanted to do that, but it's gone completely the other way. The very first time I spoke to Solskjaer, he told me exactly what he wanted to do with his team, how he wanted to play, how he wanted to perform, the type of plays that he wanted to bring into this club. And it's exactly what's happened. It's followed that path. And that's what that's what makes me, don't get me wrong, I always had the utmost respect for him anyway, because when I was a young lad, at, young lad at United, he was brilliant with us as youngsters. Yeah. He was absolutely outstanding with us. You know, he would play in the reserve games with us and, and help us out no end. But what, if it was possible, what's put me even more respectful of him is that he stuck by his principles. So when he was being questioned, when when the media were questioning, when his own supporters were questioning, when people were saying that he's not fit for the job, he's not good enough for the job, he doesn't have the experience, he never, ever diverted from his plan. His plan was always the same. And the one thing I would say when people come out, whether it be United supporters or whether it be neutrals, when they come out and say, well... 
what what experience does he have to manage Manchester United? Well, I'll point you in the direction of Luis Van Gaal and Mourinho, right. who did incredible things and are serial winners throughout world football. They couldn't make it work. So why not try something else? The biggest thing is, is what United need now and have needed for some time since Sir Alex Ferguson left is continuity. They've had no continuity. So what you've had, when Solskjaer comes into the club, he has players that were signed by Sir Alex Ferguson. He had players that were signed by David Moyes. He had players that were signed by Van Hall, and he had players that were signed by Mourinho. Four yeah. different styles of players. Yeah. And then he wants to put his own imprint on it. Now that takes time. So we talk about what he's done on the pitch, but let's have a look at what he's done off the pitch. Players that he didn't think were right for the club, didn't didn't suit his style. He got them out when he could. And, and also what I see with this United oh. team now is smiles on faces, players mm-hmm. being told to go and... Go, em, embrace it. Go and go and express yourself out on the pitch. Some of the goals they've scored in recent times have been absolutely magnificent. Oh, and yes, they, yes, they'll be off the training ground. Some of them, but some of them will just been because they've been told to go and play like free spirits. Go and enjoy it. Go and do whatever you want to do. And the players have bought in because we talk about how how much more pleasing now United are on the eye when they're going forward. And if they go a goal down, there's, it's not panic stations. It's not the panic button. But one thing that's gone unnoticed, in my opinion has been when they lose the ball, how quickly they press, how quickly they stop the opposition from being allowed to get into their stride. And that's down to Solskjaer. Like I say, when I spoke to him, wanted to bring young players in, wanted to bring hungry players in. Now, you want to press and you want to press high and you want to press collectively. You've got to have younger players. You've got to have hungry players. And you've got to have players that want to grow with the club. So his, his plan that he put in place... As far as I can see, and, and and from conversations I've had with him, is exactly what he wanted to see. So anybody that thinks that this is a fluke because United signed Bruno Fernandes, yes, he was the miss, he was one of the missing pieces in the jigsaw. But Solskjaer knew that all along. It's not as though this has happened by accident. You know, it would have been wonderful if they'd have got him last summer, but they didn't. But it's 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 not something that it's like it's just landed at Solskjaer's feet. It was planning that was put in place. And instead of instead of me and you talking now and saying, right, oh, wonder what United are going to do this pre uh, this summer. I wonder what player they're going to bring in, but not not necessarily what player they're going to bring in. We're not years gone by. We would have been saying, I wonder what player they're going to bring in. A and then B was, I wonder what position they're going to play them in. We know now any player that comes into United, they're going to play the position that they've specialised at their previous club. Or so what is the point of signing them? You know, we saw it with Di Maria. Yeah. You know, Di Maria, some people liked him, some people didn't. He got man of the match in the Champions League final Yeah. the the previous season, all of a sudden comes to United and spends a lot of his time on the right of midfield. Right. And we don't we're not gonna see that with Solskjaer. Now look, Danny, there's a couple of things and you bring up a good point that I, I never put that together, but it's right. You know, for, when you used to hear Fergie talk about Solskjaer, he would say mm. that he was someone who sat on the bench, who would analyze sure. games and then when he came on, he already had spotted the weaknesses and exploited those weaknesses. So he was almost a manager when he was a sub, right? Here's a guy that wasn't playing massive amounts of game, but was already thinking like a manager on the bench. You know, mm. on the rare occasion, and it was extremely rare when I was on the bench, you know, I was thinking about what I was doing last night. I was thinking about, you know, what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> you know, most, most footballers are not thinking about the game they're, yeah. and they're waiting to come on and have an impact so I think he had a coach's brain 
from very early on. I also, there's a clip going about on the internet, and it's, it's a few years old of when he was at Maldi, the first time, mm. where he's in training, and then he uses a few, he uses a bit of profanity, and he's screaming at his players to shoot. Do not mm. pass, do not over-elaborate, not continue to pass the ball. If you get inside a goal, you have a set of goal, shoot. Right? And you can see that that, you know, we used to hear this with Van Hal, right? Van Hal never wanted, you know, they, they, they wanted him to t- take a second touch. He didn't, yep. you know, over, over pass, pass, pass for the sake of passing. Now we see a United that's much more direct. Also what I see in Solskjaer that was different under Mourinho, that was different under Van Hal. The United I saw under Van Hal was, this is Louis Van Hal style. What the United I saw under Mourinho is this is Jose Mourinho style. The United I see today is this is Manchester United style. Right? Yeah. So this is Solskjaer who understands what the United fans want, who understands how they want to win games, understand that we want United players to play with courage. Even if you lose the game, don't go yeah. out just to get a result. Go out to win the game. And we see that with United and we see these forwards. We see the Solskjaer's improved Martial. Solskjaer's improved Rashford. Solskjaer has is, is, is definitely had a huge just impact on Mason Greenwood. Yes, he will help you as a forward if you listen. There's no question. They've just all had their best seasons. So very, very encouraging from that perspective. Um, uh, so when I look at that, does he get enough credit? Because I, I look at this United team and I say, I also see that it's a well-coached team, Danny. Yeah. It's, so one of the things I would say to you, Phil, right, is that if and, and take football out of the equation, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Take it take it into any workplace. Yeah. Okay. If you know your boss, your manager trusts you, how much better does it feel? Oh, of course. It's it's incredible. I look at this United team and I look at every player having the trust of Solskjaer. And when when I was playing myself, don't get me wrong, it wasn't it wasn't at those levels. But I knew that if my manager trusted me. If he told me to go and run through a brick wall, I would go and run through it because I had his trust. I look at Van Hal and I look at Mourinho, both exceptional managers. This is nothing about them as managers, both exceptional managers. But I don't think they trusted too many of the players. Yeah. I think there's I think there was especially under Van Hal, I think there was specific players that could probably shoot. I think there was specific players that could run with the ball, but I think the rest of the players were told Get the ball and give it to him. Get the ball and give it to him. Get the ball and do the simple thing. Where I think with Solskjaer, it's like, let's relax. You're all good players or she wouldn't be at Manchester United. When you get that ball, go and express yourself. Go and make something happen. If you make an error in the final third, I don't care. What I will care about is if you don't take responsibility, if you don't go and express yourself, if you don't take a risk in the final third, that's when I won't be happy. Now, if you're a forward, if you're Rashford, you're Martial and, and, and you're Fernandez and you're Greenwood and your manager, who, by the way, is the best finisher that I ever played against or played with, is turning around to you and going, when you get in that final third, go just embrace it. Go and do what you want to do. Go and play your lovely one-two touch football. Go and interchange. Greenwood, go and drift over to the left if you want. Rashford, go and swap places with Martial. Fernandez, go and do what you want. Free roll. When we've got the ball, go and express yourself. But when we're out of possession, let's go and press. As a forward, as a winger, all of a sudden, if there was any doubt around you, if there was any pressure on your shoulders, that's just taken off you. It's completely taken off you because you have been told by one of the best centre forwards that was around at the time, 
that you are a good player. You can go and express yourself. You can go and make a mistake, and I'm not going to have a go at you. I will have a go at you if you make mistakes by not trying to be adventurous. That would be music to any forward-thinking yeah. player's ears. Yeah. And that's what's happened. It's The players, as you quite rightly said, Phil, have all improved under Solskjaer. But more importantly than that, the mindset's changed. The mindset is now one of we are United players. And that's a big thing because I've seen it over the years. United have signed great players over the years, wonderful mm -hmm. players. But the pressure of wearing that shirt week in, week out has been too much for them. So not only do you have to be a good player to play for Manchester United, you also have a special mentality. You, have, you also have to have a unique mentality. And Solskjaer, by telling his players to relax, is actually instilling that mentality in them because they're not afraid to make mistakes now in, in, in the attacking third. Well, it's funny, Danny, you said earlier there, uh, you, you pointed out something about um, Dean Henderson and, and David De Gea about the pressure of playing for Manchester United. Mm. Uh, I had Franz Hook on the show a few weeks ago who had them both at United, of course, who was the coach under Van Hal, and he said exactly the same thing. He said, listen, playing for Sheffield United is not playing for Manchester United. They're two very, very different things. Okay, So, yes, Dean is a great, is a great goalkeeper, but David's still a little bit ahead of him, um, and, and the, the, the pressure... Of playing at Manchester United will be totally different, and that's something that's an intangible that you really yeah. can't gauge until you see someone react. This is something that has impressed me immensely with Mason Greenwood, for example. I'll talk to you about him in a minute. But yeah. the other thing that I think that I've been really impressed with with Solskjaer is there was a question mark about his ruthlessness. About does, is he too much of a nice guy? Robin van Persie said that he's he looks like a nice guy, right? He but one of the things that he's done, Danny, and he's done it quietly is he's shown a ruthless streak behind the scenes. When something's been wrong with the club, he's fixed it. We were, a lot of the fans were very upset with a lot of the social media nonsense that the players were putting on. And maybe it's from our generation where we're being overly harsh. Younger kids do different things different ways. I understand that. But Solskjaer nipped it in the bud. Now we haven't seen it at all. All that's gone away, disappeared, right? He didn't do it in public. You know, unlike Mourinho, where Mourinho would come out and slaughter a player on public, we saw it mm -hmm. a lot with Luke Shaw, which I really think was counterproductive. When Luke Shaw would play well, Mourinho took the credit. When he played poorly, it was all yeah. Luke Shaw's fault, right? Um, I don't know what you and of course we all knew he was talking about with the virus and all this, right? Where Solskjaer has done this privately, and Paul Pogba looked like a guy who was desperate to get out of a football club. Now looks like a guy who wants to stay. And I think part of that has been with the public commentary of Solskjaer, who's refused to criticise him in public. And there's no doubt they've done a lot privately. Um, but we've seen also his ruthlessness with standards on the pitch, not just yeah. off the pitch, where, look, once I have the options, if you don't perform to a certain level, you won't play. And we've seen that with players. Um, and I commend him for that. It's very hard for me to disagree with anyone that he's brought in or, 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 mm -hmm. or, 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 or let go. But Mason Greenwood, Danny, we talk about Bruno Fernandes, such an important player, of course, but for me, Mason Greenwood was like a new signing too, right? Because Mason Greenwood hit the ground running. Um, he came in in January, pretty much, where he started to play regularly. He gave United a much different option than Dan James. If United don't unearth Mason Greenwood when they do, they're not in the top four. No, no question mm. about that, right? Because the goals that he's brought, no, 17 goals is truly unbelievable, right? Um, for a young kid that age. Also, 
with how United have, make, have scored those goals because a lot of it's been in front of a defender, running directly, taking defenders on, uh, and and as soon as he gets a glimpse of target, he hits the goal. We could be talking about one of the greatest young players, greatest players, to, you know, possibly another Rooney or something of that caliber. Yeah. Um, but he's also, to me, been as important as Bruno Fernandes. Um, Solskjaer surely deserves huge credit for the emergence and the handling of also uh, Mason Greenwood. And how good do you think Mason Greenwood is? Uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, he, his, his potential, you know, he's, he's actually getting beyond potential now. What I love about him is left foot, right foot, his yeah. movement's great. But just, just talking about young players coming through United, so I don't want to... Um, contradict myself so when I talk about Henderson coming back and playing for Manchester United it's it's a specialised position so the scrutiny mm-hmm. yep. is always going to be on there if exactly. you're not making the saves right but from my experiences when so I obviously went through the youth and everything at United I joined the club at the age of 10 and from the age of 10 to the age of when I left at 21 we, we were expected to win every single game didn't matter who we played against mm-hmm did not matter whether it was you know one of the best teams in the world if you went if you went and played in in some European competitions with the youth or the lesser team didn't matter you're expected to win every single game you're expected to win every every single game in style so when you see Greenwood obviously I'll I'll I'll, I'll um, get further into him in a minute but when you see Greenwood when you see Rashford when you see Williams when you see McTominay when you see them come into the first team they will handle the pressure better than a big money signing. Not because of the money mm. that, that's, that, that's on that's on that player's head, but because they've had to deal with pressure at Manchester United since the age of 11. And that's the difference. So whether you're playing for United under 23s, under 18s, under 16s, all the way down to under 12s, it's a stepping stone. Because, OK, when you go to Manchester United's first team, yes, the, the, the spotlight is massively on you. But the expectancy level is exactly the same. The expectancy level is the same at under-14s as it is for the first team, which is any game, any tournament, you partake in, you're expected to win. So therefore, younger players coming into that that environment of United's first team and going and playing in the first team, their mindset doesn't have to change. Whereas if you go and sign a player for huge money from a club that might not have the expectation levels at United, very, very, very quickly... They've got to change their mindset. Whereas if you've grown up at that club, there's no mindset to change. Because I remember when I, I remember when I left United at the age of 21, and I was at Derby. Then obviously a few other clubs. I played with players that, that that you could tell the expect the expectation levels of what the club wanted to achieve. The expectation levels of of the, of where they should be finishing in the league got the better of them. Mm-hmm. I never I never understood it not because not because I was a great player but because of the way I'd been brought up at United right. I remember towards the end of my career and I'd just come back from a crucial injury I went to Nottingham Forest on loan and they were in the middle of a relegation battle and I trained Thursday and Friday and the training was Premier League training it was unbelievable and mm-hmm. I said to the manager and some of the senior players I said what's going on here I said what is going on here that you can't transform this training into a match day. And yeah. some of the players said to me, the shirt is so heavy. Mm-hmm. That's Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I know they've won the European Cup, but their, their history isn't as, as recent as Manchester United. So therefore, what I'm saying is, is the players that have come through the system at United, when it's been about, you need to win, you need to win, and we need to win in style, and we need to win everything that we go into. When they take that 
step over the threshold and go to Manchester United's first team, they don't feel the pressure as much as big money signings because of the simple fact they've grown up in that environment. So that gives them a little bit of a head start. But talking about Greenwood, he's just he's he's immense. He's he's unbelievable. What I'm what I don't want to see though is that England and things like that. You know, we England yeah. always has this pinup boy. And they, they put them right up at the top and they say, yeah. right, let's do it. We saw it with Beckham, we saw it with Rooney, we saw it with Michael Owen. They put them on this pedestal because they're outstanding and incredible footballers that, that we haven't seen it often. Paul Gasco, and you mm-hmm. go all the way back. But then when they get up there, it's like, right, okay, well, you need to deliver now every right. single week. Yep. And and Solskjaer will be unbelievably mindful of that with Greenwood. And that's why he keeps mentioning mm-hmm. every time he does an interview, whether it be post-match, if Greenwood's just scored a goal or two, one of the first things he mentions is his age. Yeah, and it's and, and, and it's not yeah, and it, it's not because he's saying well he's only eighteen you know so he's still a young kid no it's saying he's eighteen take the pressure away from him let him let him go and express himself and next season you know when I I've spoken to managers before about bringing youngsters into the team and they say one of the most important things is knowing when a young player is ready to come into the first team but the most important thing is is knowing when they need a break and knowing when they need to take you need to take them out of the team. And Greenwood was outstanding towards the end of the season. But if there was an alternative, if there was another player that, that can do what a Greenwood could do, would Solskjaer maybe have given him a little, little bit of a break? Then I think, yes, he probably would have done. Yeah, of course. Potentially he would have done. So I think that's where Solskjaer looks at it in the summer is that, yes, we know that United have got incredible plays, but he doesn't want to have to be reliant on these players week in week out because of form because of injuries and because of what the game the game that you're playing against the opposition might actually bring in your way yeah of course I mean you, you would have rested him after Southampton if you had yeah. the option you know because what we don't want to see is Mason Greenwood exacerbate an injury in beer for 68 months at the key exactly. developmental stage of his career um, and look I don't care what age you are in football or what age you are in life you are no one's a hundred percent consistent unless you're a Ronaldo or a Messi or you're a yeah. freak. Everybody yeah. has ebb and flow, up and down. You have periods where you don't play well, and that's just that's that's just what every human being goes through. So, it certainly should expect that at eighteen, and you're quite right. Once that um, <clears throat> expectation reaches hyperbole, then it's very difficult to put the, the genie back in a bottle. Um, which brings me to the next last question, Danny. Mm. Um, what do United need this summer? I think. If there's only three players being brought in, it has to mm. be what we talked about, a left-sided ball-playing centre-back. It has to be another midfielder in the image of maybe Pogba and, and Fernandez, maybe a Tiago Alcantara or someone like that. It's available at a decent price, but a ball-playing midfielder so that you don't have to change tactically. Like When, when, we, when United played against Southampton, when they took both Fernandez and Pogba off, they had nobody that could control possession for them. So the ball just kept coming back at them. And when you bring McCommon and Fred on, you can't replicate your tactics. Everything has to change. So for me, I think when I look at that, I'm saying you need another ball playing midfielder. Uh, and of course, to me, the obvious student stands. So what would you do if you're Solskjaer this summer? Yeah, I think, you know, he needs strength and depth. You know, it's yeah. Liverpool. You know, this season won the league, and they they were absolutely phenomenal. You know, as United yeah. fan, even I have to say that. Sure, of course. But one one thing that worked in their favour was that they didn't really have any major injuries to key players. 
And that's one of the things when I look at next season, going into next season, you know, I may be completely wrong, but I put Manchester City favourites because they still have a greater strength in depth. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what United need to get now because, you know, you've got Juan Mata, you've got Lingard and, you know, both very, very good players. But do they necessarily fit the mould of what Solskjaer wants in particular in that front four area? So if you bring Sancho in, all of a sudden, if you want to re- if, if you want to give Rashford a rest, well, you know what? Greenwood's quite comfortable in going over to the left-hand side. Right. You, want to, you, you want to rest Greenwood? Well, you've got Sancho who can play there. You want to rest Martial? Well, I'll tell you what, it's not a problem because Rashford can go up front and Sancho can go over to the left. So it's not a case of saying, well, if we bring Sancho in, if United bring Sancho in, who's he going to replace? It's not a case of saying, well, you're going to stunt the development of Greenwood mm-hmm. if you bring Sancho in. That, 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 in my opinion, couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. Because what you're doing, you're giving the flexibility and you're giving the opportunity to bring a player out who may need a rest. To, to play a specific player in a specific position, dependent on the opposition you're playing against. So that's why I would be looking at someone like Sancho. He's got the pace, he's got the directness, he, fit, he fits the bill for a Manchester United player. Um, as in terms of the defensive side of things, I look at Fernandes and I look at Pogba and I'm like, I, I don't necessarily know whether I would whether I would actually bring another creative player in because I think hmm. if we had a if we had a crystal ball and we, we fast forwarded to the end of next season, I think you you I'd be amazed unless United are cruising in a game where we see both Fernandez and Pogba not on the pitch at the end of ninety minutes. I think that, you know, I think that we will very, very rarely see that. So what you find yourself with an instance is that if Fernandez needs to come off because he needs a little bit of a rest or whatever, Pogba can go and play that higher position, you know, during the games. If Pogba needs that little bit of a break, well, we know that Fernandez during games can go and filter into that that position himself as well. So I'm not too sure about that. The the centre back position, yes, one hundred percent. Um the left-back position, I think Brandon Williams has done unbelievably well. I think Luke Shaw, you know, we don't know how long he's going to be out for because he looks as though he got a bad injury uh, recently. So I would I would give Brandon Williams the, the opportunity because I think he's been he's been excellent every time yeah. he's come onto the pitch. So I would Agreed. be looking at things I would be looking at things myself. Do we need a, do United need another defensive midfielder? Well, if you do, then what you're saying to Matic, who's just signed a new contract, yeah. what you're saying to McTominay and what you're saying to Fred. Yeah. So my two positions where I'd be looking at. 100% for um, as in terms of taking United forward would be you know the, the the forward positions in behind the front man the potential of a centre half as well because what United have now they have plays in particular in that attacking third and this is why I'm not too concerned if they don't go and get a centre forward they have plays now that can play in different positions yeah, and let's be honest let's be honest if Martial plays as a centre forward He's not an out-and-out centre-forward. That, yep. That's why I feel that Lukaku isn't at the club anymore because he was an out-and-out yep. centre-forward. Agreed, 100%. Where, where you have so much fluidity now where 30% of the game, you might have Rashford as a centre-forward, 30% you might have mm-hmm. Martial, 20% you might have Greenwood, and then the other 20% you might have Fernandez. So you've got players yep. that can interchange there, so you don't need a definitive centre-forward. United don't want that, in my opinion. They want flexibility so players yeah. can spend different time in that position. So that doesn't really concern me so much. So if you know, a wish list, you're going, right, OK, you want that centre-back that's different than the rest of the centre-backs. 
and you know Sancho and I would consider that very good and then if you bring any other players in maybe say you know maybe you want a couple of squad players or a couple of younger players that can yep. come on and make a difference and are going to grow I think that's where the disappointment with Bellingham for me was because I think he was perfect in the sense that here's a 17 year old kid could, could, mm. would, would, would play 30-35 games you know, um, and would be a, a perfect addition, something that you know, need more depth in. So completely yeah. agree with that, Dan. Uh, mate, they're always so generous with your time. Uh, good luck with, uh, well, you've got another playoff game on Thursday, I believe. Yes. And then, uh, you're yes. going to have a, a break? A little bit of a break and then see what happens with the Champions League. Maybe do some of that. But um, but yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a break and recharge because it's um it's been a been a crazy couple of months i've done about I've done more games in the last um in the last month and a bit than what i'd usually do in four months so yeah it's been pretty know, fun it's, but enjoyable mate always an absolute pleasure um nobody else can do what you do it's an honor for me always to have you on here thanks, and uh, you're always so generous for your time thanks so much mate all the best on you and your family no mate. Problem. cheers you too mate bye-bye cheers